Welcome, CB. Thank you so much for joining us today for this episode of our podcast. The topic today is sustainability and employee engagement. And CB, you are the H.J. Zoffer Chair in Sustainability and Ethics at the Katz Graduate School of Business, University of Pittsburgh. And you are one of the top experts worldwide when it comes to sustainable business strategy. We have known each other for, I would say, more than eight years now, if I remember correctly. And you have always been a great inspiration for me and for my own work. So I'm very honored to have you here with me today and really, really happy to talk to you. Thank you, Laura. My pleasure to be here with you. Thank you. And maybe to start off, you can tell our audience a little bit about yourself. So what sparked your interest in sustainability and what is your personal history? How did you start to work on this topic? So you probably know that my PhD uh, from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania is from marketing, is in marketing. So um, I graduated and uh, at that time, my work didn't really have much to do with Uh, corporate responsibility or sustainability. I graduated uh, with doing a dissertation that analyzed kind of statistical models using supermarket uh, scanner data to understand brand loyalty and, and, and things like that. But during my first job at Emory University, um, I was teaching marketing research and um, having done marketing research as a brand manager prior to coming for my PhD, I knew that it was not possible to learn marketing research by just sitting at, at your desk. And so I wanted my students to go out into the field and, and collect data and analyze some real world data. And then I thought, what's the point of, of doing fictional projects when there are so many people in the real world who don't have the money to contract with consulting companies and pay for, for, for research. So I started a program where my students would do market research for nonprofits and social cause organizations, you know, that didn't really have the money to uh, pay, pay big consulting companies. And it was a very successful program. And we did lots of projects for, you know, the Cancer Society, the Red Cross, the Zoo, and all of these organizations. And um, during that um, kind of time of my life, I came across a gentleman by the name of Mr. Ben Cohen. Now, Ben Cohen was the CEO of this company called Ben and Jerry's, who, <laughs> you know, makes ice cream. And they are a socially responsible company and for a long time. And this was in the mid-1990s. And this gentleman asked me a question that was very interesting. He said, you know, We do a lot of good things for the environment. We support the rainforest movement. We do a lot for society. We pay our workers a living wage rather than the minimum wage. Said, can you help me understand if what we do for society and the environment, you know, does it help us sell ice cream? Um, so would people buy our ice cream all else equal because of our environmental and social uh, performance? So I said, look, I don't know the answer to this question, but I find this to be a very, very interesting question. Mm -hmm. uh, why? Well, marketers are always thinking about ways of increasing sales. So, you know, that's something that uh, I was kind of interested in. But we were always looking at things like product quality and price and promotions, you know, the four P's of marketing, so to speak. Nobody was looking at environmental attributes mm -hmm. and social mm -hmm. attributes as possible drivers of sales at that time. So I started kind of thinking about this topic and started working on it. And soon um, into my kind of um, 
research on this side, I roped in my longtime and now your longtime collaborator, Shankar San, to say, okay, well, let's study this problem. And, and then we started doing some experiments to understand conditions under which consumers would reward you know, companies uh, for, their, uh, for their social responsibility. And this was a wide open field at that time. And so, I mean, there were so many unanswered questions that one, you know, writing one paper led to the next paper and the next question. And before long, my whole research had kind of fully mm -hmm. transitioned to this area because there was, you know, so much that was there to be done. And, and so I, you know, at, at some point I realized that this was much more to me personally fulfilling much more fulfilling than kind of, you know, the previous work that I was doing um, kind of, you know, um, in the scanner data domain. And that was really kind of the transition. So using all that knowledge of how uh, consumers react, and then I studied how employees react. So and I published a book in 2011, along with uh, Shankar Sen and Daniel Korshun, um, you know, on, called Leveraging Corporate Responsibility, how stakeholders react um, to, to, you know, uh, firms' environmental and social initiatives. And, and over that time, then, this was published in 2011, and by that time, the discourse had kind of changed from corporate responsibility to what we now call sustainability, which I'm sure mm -hmm. we'll talk more about as we go down the interview. Um, and, and then, I, you know, the research again, gained a lot of momentum in trying to understand kind of how do you make companies more sustainable and so on. But that's the beginning, really. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you, you said that this whole field has changed a lot over these more than 20 years now, what would you say were the most important developments? So in the beginning, you talked about CSR and now you talk more about sustainability as the terminology that you use. Now we also talk a lot about purpose and corporate socio-political activism. Ben and Jerry's is a very good example of that, right? So in general, how would you say has the field changed? What were the most important developments uh, in the business world, but also how they are reflected in our academic bubble on the topic? That's a great question, Laura. Well, um, you know, The business landscape has changed significantly, I would say, in, in, in 20 years um, in respect, uh, with respect to, to corporate responsibility and sustainability. So we now understand that corporate responsibility or uh, corporate social responsibility is exactly that. I mean, it's what companies believe they need to do, um, you know, to make the world a better place, kind of. It is voluntary so they do it you know because they want to do it it can be restricted to a department and you know um, companies can 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 uh, do more of it less of it as much of it as they want but sustainability is a totally different kettle of fish and, and sustainability is really about survival and, and 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 how did this shift happen well it happened because of mostly because of, you know, climate change kind of warnings that started coming. And the, these have intensified. They started about 20 years ago, but they really have intensified over the last decade and even much more so mm -hmm. since these IPCC reports have started coming out over the last five years. And so we realized then suddenly at some point that, look, I mean, you know, if we are not able to maintain this temperature threshold, then, you know, uh, the world is going to be in danger and the planet mm -hmm. is going to be in danger. And, and so as these warnings started coming out, 
And alongside, it was not just climate. I mean, biodiversity loss. I mean, it was about water kind of running out. Um, it's been about inequality, which has been growing. I mean, so all of these humongous societal problems start, suddenly started kind of surfacing uh, more and more and becoming more and more prominent to the point where kind of regulators started taking notice and, and came up with new regulations on, mm -hmm. on you know, corporate behavior. And then companies themselves as well, at least the, the leading ones, they realized that, well, if they don't do something about this, then, you know, they might not be in business for, for, for very long. So these were some external um, kind of, um, you know, forces, I would say, that, that worked on the transition. Internally as well, there have been some forces. And one of the main forces that I like to, to, to talk about or think about is the lack of meaning in employees' jobs. Mm -hmm. So yeah. what has happened is because of this profit obsession for companies, um, you know, their employees don't really find meaning in the, you know, it's uh, Gallup uh, polls, you know, reported that only 15% of employees that work are kind of engaged at, 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 at work. And um, that what does that mean? That means that we are not leveraging the human capital that employees, you know, rep represent to us. I mean, they're not bringing their whole self to work and so on. And I think kind of the forward forward thinking CEOs kind of saw this and say, well, I mean, you know, we need to do something to fix this as well to, to get our energy up. And many of them realized that sustainability was really a good kind of, you know, place to, to uh, put their hat on in this regard because sustainability as I explained in my book, actually gives meaning to people mm -hmm. when, they, when they engage in it, to employees. And, and so, so that was one of the main internal forces, along with the external forces that, that spurred this movement. But now, yeah, so, so now we talk about purpose. So profits is not, um, you know, it's so last century to talk about profit maximization as a goal. And now we talk about purpose-driven leadership and purpose-driven companies. Um, our latest work together, uh, uh, you know, uh, Laura, our co-authored piece shows that employees engage more in sustainability when they perceive their companies to have a purpose. These are tremendously important kind of, you know, um, mm -hmm. uh, what shall I say, steps or, or discoveries in a world that's still trying to find itself and that's still trying to understand, you know, what is business all about? Mm -hmm. And uh, hopefully, you know, they will figure that out as we go along. Sociopolitical activism, yes, because business realizes that, again, I mean, if uh, they, you know, if, if, if their employees uh, belong to a particular target segment or their customers belong to a target segment, um, if, if their values say something about mm -hmm. a particular social issue, it's better to take a side than, mm -hmm. than just stand, you know, kind of neutral and, and uh, just uh, ignore, ignore kind of the, the issue. And that's given to the rise of sociopolitical uh, activism. Um, that's not as straightforward as, as making the world a more sustainable place, but it's also an interesting phenomenon that we ought to keep our. Do you think there is a link actually that uh, now when we see companies talking more about the higher purpose of their business, they are kind of held responsible for it. Uh, so they have to take a stand when it comes to really uh, sociopolitical issues that come up? Well, the expectation certainly has, mm -hmm. has gone up, I think, from various stakeholders' sides that, yeah, 
I mean, ultimately, a company is also made up of of human beings, right. and why should we be uh, why should we be quiet about it? I mean, it's the same with you know, for example, with the National Football League. You know, mm-hmm. well, say, well, you know, our job is to play football. Why should we care? Yeah. Uh, about racism or whatever. But, you know, they have stood up and they've said that, no, I mean, you know, kind of the, the some things we just cannot as human mm-hmm. beings, as fellow mm-hmm. human beings, um, sit back and, and watch happen. So um, increasingly on us human beings and, and citizens as well, I mean, we are all citizens, um, there is a call to be more active and to, to be more engaged in our civic duty, in our life around us, um, and that is what it means to be purpose-driven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can actually stick with the employee engagement topic a little bit. I would like to talk a bit about your book, Small Actions, Big Difference, which I think is an incredibly important book because it describes uh, exactly what we see as a necessary development in many companies now, that you don't have one sustainability manager who is kind of trying to publish reports and collect data, but that you n- basically need everyone in the organization on board, right? And in the book, you provide a very interesting um, theoretical perspective with psychological ownership as a construct, as a key construct. Maybe you can explain that for our listeners a bit. Like, how do you see this psychological uh, ownership developing in employees? And uh, what does it lead to if an organization manages to have everyone on board? Sure. Um, Let me first say that I thought of the idea of psychological ownership Uh, when I was visiting a factory. I was visiting a factory, Unilever factory, in the middle of nowhere in India. And, uh, you know, and then I saw these people, the employees, um, harvesting rainwater. It was like a very water-stressed area. Mm -hmm. And the employees had figured out a way to harvest rainwater and use it for their production. And they were very proud of what they had found and what they were doing. And they shared that um, basically with me. And when they were describing it to me, the, the, what they had done, I, I saw this, uh, looked, looked at their faces. And the first word that came to my mind was ownership. Oh, mm-hmm. these guys have taken ownership of the problem. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I actually, to be honest, I did not know that there was a literature on psychological ownership. So what, when I thought of the word, I went and looked up like, OK, let me see if there's something on ownership. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, there is this huge literature which basically says that, hey, we don't just have to own uh, objects. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we can also own ideas like sustainability. We can take ownership. And the reason ownership was an appropriate construct uh, you know, for me to, to work with was because ownership ful- fulfills kind of three fundamental human drives. Um, ownership fulfills the drive for efficacy. So we each of us wants to feel competent in our life and that we want to make a difference. And, you know, in sustainability, everybody can make a difference, starting from putting off lights to carpooling or what have you. And then each of us wants to have uh, ownership fulfills the drive for identity, for self-identity. So, um, you know, we are what we own. I mean, that's uh, one of these famous sayings. And, and, and so, again, in today's world, affiliating with, with a sustainable organization or an organization that cares about sustainability gives employees that identity that, hey, you know, I work for a cool company that does something that does something to be part of of the solution to this uh, humongous crisis that we are facing. And the third is the sense of belonging. So we want to feel that we belong to a larger collective 
And so when I work on sustainability, I feel like, hey, you know, I'm doing something for my children, for, for mm -hmm. my community, mm -hmm. for, you know, to, to this society that I belong to. I'm actually, again, part of the solution. So mm -hmm. sustainability fits this kind of, you know, or, or fulfills these drives really, really well. And that's why I thought that it would be a, a great construct to uh, the construct of psychological ownership would be a very good one to apply to the case of sustainability. And it, it again, I mean, you say, how does it develop? Well, I mean, you know, it, it really all starts with that all important question of, of purpose, mm -hmm. kind of, you know, and defining a company's purpose, cascading that purpose, defining some material goals. And then kind of, you know, giving employees the opportunity to work on those goals um, and, and, and uh, creating the cultural ambiance. And, and we can talk a little bit more about that, you know, yeah. the steps to develop ownership. Um, but it's a, you know, it's not rocket science. It's something that we can all do. Every company, whether it has five people or 5,000 people or 500,000 people can apply this model to build a sense of ownership. And what we show uh First in the book, of course, through anecdotes, what I show, and then in this empirical paper that we just published, what we are able to show is that when there is this sense of ownership, then employees actually engage in more sustainable behaviors on behalf of the company. So uh, this root of or, or building this sense of psychological ownership is a surefire way actually to accelerate any company's transition to a sustainable business model. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, at the moment, it's hard to find a company that doesn't have a higher purpose, right? So on all websites, we find these purpose statements. But I would say that probably not all of those companies have already brought their purpose to life, right? And not all of them have uh, managed to create ownership for sustainability in all the employees, right? So what did Unilever do right, for example? And what would you say, what do these companies that are front runners, what do they do right? That's a great question. Uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, lots of companies have purpose statements, but purpose is one of those cheap talk kinds of things. You know, it, it, it can be cheap talk and you can have a purpose statement and just leave it on the website. And that's not going to do anything for your stakeholders, including your employees. So to, to be, uh, useful and productive purpose has to be not only it has to be brought to life it has to be authentic it has to be lived right um, so you have to live by your purpose and what does it mean to live by your purpose it means kind of giving your employees that sense that perception through through leadership through uh real life examples from their supervisors etc that you're actually kind of working on that purpose. Mm -hmm. So what mm -hmm. did Unilever do? So Unilever's purpose is to make sustainable living commonplace. That's how they defined it. Sustainable. Now, what does it mean to have sustainable living, first of all? Well, sustainable living is kind of li living a healthy life, right? And living a hygienic life, all of those things. And, and Unilever produces these kinds of products. But when Unilever produces like a soap as well, kind of it's the idea is that 
that represents kind of an improvement in somebody's, you know, physical and mental condition, mm -hmm. including possibly saving lives because some of their soaps are antibacterial, they're sold in emerging markets mm -hmm. where people don't wash hands, et cetera, et cetera. So when I visited Unilever, many of their employees essentially have internalized the idea that what they're doing is not selling products, they're not selling soap, but rather they're saving lives, mm -hmm. which is a huge, huge difference, you know, and that that's what provides much more meaning. And Unilever, Unilever has successfully kind of, you know, cascaded this purpose, you know, to all its employees. And they have made sure that there are no exceptions in the company, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of working on sustainability. Everybody in the company is a sustainability manager. So somehow through their ambassadors, uh, through sustainability ambassadors, through the programs they have, you know, everybody is engaged, whether they're in marketing, whether they're in finance, whether they're in uh, operations, uh, investor relations, what have you. So when they have this kind of concerted approach uh, and they've created the culture around it to, you know, to, to kind of making an, a living, breathing, <laughs> sustainable organization. So with that culture, the strategy and the systems in place, making it everybody's job, you know, that's, that's what it means to live your purpose. And that's mm -hmm. what the other front runner companies have, have also done. Mm -hmm. And that's what distinguishes them kind of, you know, from the rest of the pack. Mm -hmm. So if you look at these developments, what are the hot topics for you at the moment? What do you think do firms need to anticipate now uh, to to really be front runners in the upcoming years? Or what are the topics that you are really interested in at the moment? So clearly this idea of, of purpose and how can we make firms understand or realize the value mm -hmm. of of purpose is is job one, I think, mm -hmm. you know, if in my lifetime, I can see companies <laughs> truly moving away from shareholder value maximization to kind of understanding that business, you know, exists in society and not the mm -hmm. other way around. And that mm -hmm. business, the purpose of business is to provide a societal benefit. We forget where business started from. Business mm -hmm. actually started mm -hmm. as a barter, you know, mm -hmm. so you have rice, I have meat, I give you some meat, you give me some rice and we both have a meal or whatever. Mm -hmm. Now, this is how it happened. And you, maybe you had fire. <laughs> so all of these things were kind of, you know, shared and then, then money got invented and then that's, you know, also brought its own share of troubles with it. Um, but we forget that that's how it was. And it was not about making money. You know, it was really about a societal need, fulfilling a societal need. So we need to kind of Even in our modern day ways of working, we need to remember that that's the, that's the fundamental purpose of, of, of business. So that mm -hmm. would be kind of my, um, you know, job one. And secondarily, I think all the other things that are going on at this point in time, mm -hmm. you know, climate, you know, uh, energy systems, this, that, all, all of this is ultimately with a view to providing kind of every individual in this world, uh, you know, access to a dignified life. I mean, that's mm -hmm. the ultimate, that's mm -hmm. the ultimate goal. Beating climate is not the ultimate goal. I mean, that's mm -hmm. just an obstacle that we face because right. we lost our way. Mm -hmm. and, and so how can we increase the value of kind of in everybody's eyes? How can we increase the value of services that we get? 
how can we increase the value of you know um, where where somebody stays and the impact of environment of the natural environment, uh, disproportionate impact of the natural environment on underprivileged communities. Mm-hmm. I want people to be and businesses uh, to be uh, to be shocked, to be mm-hmm. shamed, to be you know kind of uh, to to look at these kinds of things very very carefully and want to do better for their entire entire workforce and all their stakeholders. So I would mm-hmm. think that these are the main goals and everything else that happens. You know, so I don't want to comment on, you know, kind of ESG and, oh, yeah, that's a hot topic. Yeah, it's a hot topic. It's it's a hot topic for a reason to make mm-hmm. companies behave in a particular way. Right. But we have to kind of understand where we are taking this in the long run. I mean, I do not want to live in a, firm, a world where a few of us are are well looked after and most of us are ignored. I mean, mm-hmm. that's not, you know, the planet that I want to belong to. So, so that would be my fundamental interest, you know, how do we go about changing that system? Yeah, great, great uh, points. And I would like to just ask one pre-final question and then one final question. <laughs> Maybe a pre-final question. We have witnessed so many crises and you've already mentioned it, climate crisis, but now also COVID and now suddenly the Ukraine. So, um, and we could say that these crises force companies to look more towards the economic uh, outcomes again. Uh, But we could also say that it really triggers them to think more about their values. So what do you think is happening more strongly? See, it's not uh, another very good question, but I don't think there is one answer because, again, you know, those who are discriminatory, those who are enlightened, those who are um, forward-thinking We'll see this as uh, all of these crises, including COVID and including uh, Ukraine, as as fundamentally social issues and, mm-hmm. and as fundamentally kind of you know issues that are man-made and that are ma- man-made because of an imperfect understanding of what it right. means to be in modern day society. It's, it's simple. Mm-hmm. I mean, for COVID, it has been established that you know, the way it happened and the way it spread from animals to humans, mm-hmm. it's because, you know, as mankind, we do not respect the natural habitat of, of wildlife. And right. if you want to interfere with wildlife, well, then this is what happens, you know. And and and, and with Ukraine, well, we don't want to, to necessarily politicize the conversation. But again, I mean, you know, it's it's uh, if if in the 21st century, you know, um, you know, the weekend, still think of just attacking one one country, attacking another country, uh, you know, without any provocation, um, that clearly shows a, an imperfect understanding of, of, mm-hmm. of humanity, of, of human life, the value of human life, and, and all of these kinds of things. So forward-looking leaders, they will kind of predicate on, you know, kind of on, on the social uh, implications of mm-hmm. these crises, and they will work to strengthen you know, those social systems that give rise to these kinds of situations. Mm-hmm. And there will be the other half who are who are still not there, who will kind of say, okay, you know, um, this is an opportunity to make money or, or I am getting hurt, so I have to look for other ways to make money and, and make it into an economic argument. Mm-hmm. And this goes to actually one of the theories or, or uh, let me say, aspirations or expectations that, uh, that I have have, which is 
education is holds a big, big key, I think. And by education, I do not mean mm -hmm. the levels at which you and I teach in college, uh, you know, master's students or, or, or even undergraduate students, uh, executives. But I really mean children, you know, from very, very young children mm -hmm. from the age mm -hmm. of five. Uh, you know, as they enter school, I mean, they really need to learn much more about kind of societal norms, what mm -hmm. it means to be a good human being, what it means to take care of the environment. Um, you know, I, I, we had a subject called moral science when I was growing up. I don't mm -hmm. really know mm -hmm. uh, what happened to that or, or, you know, kind of we need to bring that back in a very, very strong way through the curriculum and 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 teach at a, from a very early age, mm -hmm. you know, kind of good good principles and good practice. And that's our only hope that in the future, you know, kind of uh, maybe the younger generation, you know, your children and, and, and my child, they'll have a different orientation towards mm -hmm. life. I don't mm -hmm. see any other way. Very, very good answer. And I would like to ask one last question that I ask all my guests, which is if you could post one sentence on social media right now, which the whole world would read, what would it be? Aha. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I would say that don't forget that each of us can bring about positive change. The positive change starts with us. And that small actions can make a big difference. Really nice. Thank you so much. So, CB, as always, it has been a pleasure to talk to you. And I always get a lot of inspiration from you. Thank you so much for joining us as a guest. Are there any last aspects you would like to share with our audience? Uh, Laura, you need to keep up the good work that that you were doing. And I'm very proud of everything that you are doing in your institute Uh, with CSR and sustainability and this master's in sustainability, it starts, uh, it, it sounds fantastic. And uh, I really wish you kind of uh, all the success and, you know, just, uh, just keep on keeping on. That's the only <laughs> way we can, we can tackle any of this. Thank you so much, CB. So one last thing I might uh, share with our audience is that you also have a podcast series and we will share the link to this podcast series below this episode. So for our guests, please feel free to check out CB's podcast as well. And of course, also his book. Thank you all for listening in. Have a great rest of the day and talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.